We are in part three of our series entitled Being Jesus, and you're going to need a Bible today. Take out your Bibles. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you if you are in one of our sanctuaries here. Uh, also, if you have a handout sheet, maybe you want to take that out. I'm going to draw your attention to the fill in the blank here in a moment. We're in part three, and today's message is entitled Glory to God. And I want to begin with a little bit of a recap and talking about the issue of, of glory, and then we're going to jump right into our story. So where we are at is that the first week we were together, we talked about before there was any prophecy about a little baby coming into the world, John actually, in his gospel, jumped further back. He said, in the beginning was the word. That is the, the Greek word logos we talked about. The, the creating force that the Greeks knew about. So he uses this word. In the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. But we remember that in verse 14, it said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the story we are about to engage with here in a moment about how God took on humanity and began to walk with us. That very concept will blow your mind. So then next, last week, we ended up talking about how that started to come into play. We had angelic visitations. There was prophecy. There was little babies being talked about. John the Baptist was going to show up. Jesus was going to show up. And there was complications of a virgin gets pregnant. She's not even you know, married to her husband yet. How does that work? And there was all kinds of complexities. And we ended by going, well, how's that all going to work out? Is that little baby going to be who we thought it was? Well, that is exactly where we drop into the story today. Of course, I'm going to give you all kinds of context and background and history. So if you don't like that, man, you're in the wrong place. But if you do enjoy that, it's going to be fun. I think we're going to have a great walk through God's word. So let's dive into it with some thoughts on glory. Uh, glory to God is the title of the message. And glory means simply this, that which is awesome about you. That which is awesome about your stuff. Whatever makes something beautiful or impressive, that is glory. When you talk about what is beautiful and impressive about someone or something, you are glorifying them. So the very reason we are here in this world, the very reason why we exist is because of the glory of God. God wants to look impressive through us. So we live out our lives reflecting him. Our job is to see him as he is and say, wow, that's kind of the point of why we're here. It's not super complicated. It's pretty basic. So if we are not impressed by God, there's a breakdown there. If we are not talking to others about how impressive God is, there's a breakdown there. Glory is critical. Now we're very used to now 2000 years later, knowing the end of the story and what Jesus did and, and wow, he died for the sins of the world. And, and we've been raising up glory to him for the last 2000 years. But when he first came, he came under the radar. He came so quietly in a way that people didn't expect. He shows up in some quiet town in a place 
that only a few would have recognized at a time when no one knew he was going to show up. And he came in so subtle. Now, he could have come in. I mean, if you're the savior of the world, you could come in riding in on a white horse, crushing the enemy, breaking out your deity and everyone freaks out and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, he could have done that and he will. But the first time he showed up, he was bringing about a revolution and it was not only about shutting down enemies. It was about winning the hearts of his children. And you don't scare someone into loving you. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Jesus didn't come for his own glory this time. Jesus didn't come for his own glory this time. The reason why Jesus came so quietly and as a servant is that his full focus was making sure the father was glorified. So he would always talk about how great the father was. And every time people would look at him, he would receive some of the praise and worship rightfully, but he would direct their attention right back up to the father again. Then, of course, after he died on the cross and rose again, the father gave him the name that is above every name and he began to be glorified. And so for all these years, we've been so excited about Jesus and so wonderfully impressed by who he was and what he accomplished. But no, the story we're walking into is an ancient document. They didn't know all that yet. All they knew was that something was changing. Someone impressive had come into the world and things were different now. That's where we pick up the story. Luke chapter 2 verse 1, it begins like this. Page 857 if you haven't found it yet. In those days, what days? The days where the Messiah was born. In those days a decree, a command went out from Caesar Augustus. Is Caesar Augustus a real guy? Yeah, absolutely. We know that in history. You can go through first uh, Roman emperor, really impressive guy. The problem is, is that they had made him a little bit more than just impressive. He was not just a world conqueror. They began to talk about him in deity ways. They would refer to him as a savior. They referred to him as Lord. They referred to him as the coming one. These are inappropriate for a man. And this Caesar Augustus who ran the known world being the Roman Empire was the largest dominant force at the time overshadowing this little Mediterranean area. He had domination over everybody. They thought nobody could ever stop Caesar Augustus. No one could ever say anything to him. He's God. Well, God's not exactly impressed by him. So our story begins with God manipulating Caesar. And it looks like this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Whose idea do you think that was? It's called God. Yeah, he moved that one. This was the first registration where Quirinius was governor of Syria. I could tell you about that, but I could bore you to death. We're not doing that. Let's move on. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Let's talk about the census. Luke is making a big deal about the census. He keeps mentioning it, and he will refer to it again one more time. The reason why he's making a big deal is he's letting you know that God is orchestrating world events just to fulfill his prophecy. 
Why? The prophecy is the baby Messiah needs to be born in Bethlehem, but they don't live in Bethlehem. How are you going to get them there? You manipulate the big dog in the world at the time and give them an idea. Dude, you should probably have a census. Hey, I came up with this idea. I should have a census. Hey, good job, genius. He comes up with that. God moves and orchestrates nations just to get everything perfect for the arrival of his son. See, we need to be very clear on who runs this world. It is not the dominant political force of the time. It is not what nation happens to be best militarily at the time. It is God and God alone, period. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's praise God for that. Listen, it is in the hands of the almighty king. Therefore, when he wanted to get something done, he got it done and he got it done in a rather radical fashion. So he begins to move the whole world. Now, practically speaking, what was Rome thinking? Why would you do a census? It seems like an awful lot of work. Why do you want to know how many people there are? There's really two primary reasons why Rome did census work at all. The first one was military reasons. You want to know how many guys have grown up in your empire that you can use to kill other people. That's kind of a big benefit if you're a world dominating force. You don't just take over other nations and hold them down by being nice. So they wanted to know who they could draft in, who they could force into their military. So they grabbed all these people and said, go back to your hometown of origin. We're going to count y'all and anyone that is of age, we are going to have them join the military. But that doesn't apply to our story. Why? Because Jews were exempt from military service. So why were they holding a census in this area of the world? Well, there's one other reason to have a census. What's that? Cash, right? Because if you don't have people to kill people, you need stuff to kill people. That's kind of the bottom line. They wanted to know who they needed to be able to tax. Now, I want you to think how irritating this would be for the Jewish people. They've already been taken over by Rome and Rome destroyed, later on, Rome destroys their temple. They don't have a good relationship. We all clear on that? They are dominated by an outside influence, that influence says, I want you to disrupt your lives. I want you to travel long distances so we can count you, so we can charge you more taxes. Listen, I know you, you already hate taxes, right? So let's say the government said, I want you to go travel 80 miles so I can tax you more. You know how irritating that is? So the the Jewish people are agitated by this whole process. Now they have to do it, Because Rome would come in and cause some serious damage. But they're not all right with it. So our story begins with Joseph and Mary lived in the north. They are now being called to register at Joseph's hometown, which is 75 miles south. That is from the very top of Israel to the bottom of Israel. But it says the word, they are going to go up. By the way, how often did censuses occur? Well, we don't know in this region, but in nearby Egypt, it was every 14 years. So the whole idea that this plan of census happened to coincide with the exact same time of the Messiah being born is not an accident. Yeah. All right. Verse four. And Joseph also went up from Galilee. That's in the north 
He went down south. So why are they saying up? Well, let's keep reading. Joseph went up from the region of Galilee, from the town of Nazareth in the north, down to Judea in the south, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. All right. This is something that irritates me about the Bible. There are a couple things that irritate me about the Bible. This is one of them. According to me, in my world, if I have a map on the wall and you go down south, that is down. Okay? Don't say it's up. It's down. Right? Because the map is on my wall. That's clearly down. If I'm going to look at the map, it's going to go down. So don't say that it's up. Why does the Bible always say up when it seems like it's down? Because it's always referring to elevation. Remember, they're living in a real world that is that is in, has hills and stuff like that. So when they say up, they literally mean going up into the mountains. Bethlehem is 2,500 feet above sea level. Jerusalem is on a mountain. They're right next to each other in a mountain range. The Galilee northern area is lower. So when they travel, they literally go up. That's the whole point, right? Which, of course, still bugs me. Verse 5, now they went down to the town of David, Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Beth or Beit means house and Lehem means bread. So it's house of bread. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now they're already married in the story. Why does he refer to them as betrothed? Because they have yet to consummate their marriage. And that's what Luke's pointing out. They have not yet fused together because she has the Messiah in her womb. All right. Now, I just want to show you one thing real quick here. I I got a chance to go with a group of folks, uh, friends of mine here from church over to Israel in 2011. And we got a chance to go into Bethlehem, which is now uh, Palestinian controlled. When we went over there, it didn't look like all the things that I always thought it would look like. Now, we're only going to use one photo today. I got a whole different series of photos here. But let's just throw up this first photo of kind of the area. This is Bethlehem today. Now, one of the things you notice right off the bat is it's very hilly. It also has an awful lot of grass. So this is why King David, when he was born, he was a shepherd. When you are near Jerusalem... There's an awful lot of stuff that goes on about sheep herding, especially in the day of Jesus, because the temple was operating. The temple in Jerusalem needed sheep 24 7, 365. They did sacrifices continually. So they would always grab of the shepherd's flocks nearby. You're only five miles from Jerusalem, it's a super close location. You also realize that it has modern buildings, but they're all kind of scattered in there. Uh, I had another slide, which was super funny. It had, a, it had an actual shepherd uh, watching sheep. We got a chance while we're sitting there looking at all this, a shepherd walks by with all these sheep. I was like, man, it's David, but he has a hoodie and a cell phone. You know what I'm saying? It's a little bit different, a little bit different than it was before, but whatever. So Bethlehem is a real place, a real location you can go visit. Now, over the traditional site, it actually has a huge church called the Church of the Nativity, which is believed to be the longest Christian running church in the world. Why? Because they started it real early where he was born, and it's been continually moving 
ever since. All right. So let's go back to our story. It says in verse six, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. All right. This is the traditional story that you have heard. I'm about to blow that out of the water. Why? I'm kind of like that. If you have ever done any customs or culture examination of the Middle East, especially the ancient Middle East at this time, you may have stumbled across a very valuable book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by Kenneth Bailey. He's a guy that lived over there and, and he was writing from a Middle Eastern mindset and how much we screw this stuff up from a Western modern mindset. So here's how we picture it happening. Oh no, Joseph got her there late. She rides in nine months pregnant and you know what? Who knew that babies come at nine months? So now they're all jammed up for time. So they come riding in and they stop at Motel 6. No vacancy. Then they go to the embassy suites. No vacancy. Why? Well, their census is there. It's all jammed up. Oh no, there's nowhere for them to stay. It's a dark, cold, dreary night and they roll up and somebody says, you can stay in the barn. So they go out into the barn. There's all kinds of nasty sheep stuff going on. And then they have a baby in, you know, squalor. And then they kind of throw it into a food trough. That's kind of how we've had the the traditional, oh, poor Jesus. Nobody has room for Jesus. Do you have room for Jesus in your heart? Right? This is how we've all been taught. Right? I mean, we know these. All right. Bogus. Here's why. There's a whole bunch of reasons why that is absolutely not the case. All right. So let's start out with who Joseph was. Remember, Joseph isn't wealthy. You're going to find out in the story. They're a poor couple, but he has something more valuable than cash in a Jewish economy. What does he have? Lineage. He's going back to Bethlehem, the city of King David. King David is a huge deal to the Jewish people. On their flag is the star of, hey, he's kind of important. If you can trace back in a lineage obsessed culture that you not only have pure lineage as a Jew, you are directly linked to King David, the very town you walked into, you can stay pretty much anywhere. Your royalty, your royalty in name alone. Secondly, he has a pregnant wife ready to give birth in a hospitality culture. Hospitality is such a huge deal in the Middle East, especially at this era, although it's still the case today. Even if you're poor, your house has two rooms. You always have two rooms. Why? One for your family and one for guests. The whole point is taking care of other people. There are rules in hospitality cultures, not in the modern day America. I don't want to share my Starbucks gift card. That's us. We're talking about a whole nother worldview, which is I always have my home open. If you walk in with a pregnant wife ready to give birth, everybody stops what they're doing and focuses for hospitality reasons. So this whole thing about, no, you move on, move on, right? That's garbage. It's not true. The other thing, Joseph had time. How do we know that? It just said it in the Bible. Look back at verse six. And while they were there, 
The time came for her to give birth. She didn't just roll into town. They were already there. And then it came time for her to give birth. So there's no, I just came in late. No, 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 no. Joseph is very clear on how long it takes to have a baby. And imagine as super responsible guy, which we've already found out, he's not going to cause her all that anxiety. That's not correct. They were already there. Last thing. The shepherds, we're going to find out, come in the story and they come and check out the baby. And they leave glorifying God with everything they'd seen. According to hospitality rules, if they were not adequately provided for, hospitality demands the shepherds take them home. Unless they can't provide better than what the people are currently in. So where did this whole idea come from? This whole jammed up at the end. It actually came from a document that was released in AD 200. And it was a comment, it was a guy writing a story, it's anonymous, and he was writing a story about how he thought it went. The problem was, even in that account, the baby's born before they ever get to Bethlehem. Well, that's clearly wrong. Why? Because that's the prophecy. The whole point was the baby had to be born in Bethlehem. But we've allowed that one story to impact everything ever since. So what was the inn and why was it full? Well, it has to do with the language. The word inn isn't what you think of inn. And here's why. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan goes like this. Jewish guy is traveling along and he gets hit by a band of robbers. He gets tore up and left on the side of the road. Oh, some religious Jewish guys go by. They don't stop. But then Samaritan, who hates Jews and Jews hate Samaritans, he sees the guy beat up and goes to his aid, takes care of him, takes him to an inn, provides for his needs, gives cash to the innkeeper and says, take care of the guy. If he needs anything else, put it on my tab. We all know that story. All right. That word inn is not this word. There is a word for commercial inn. It's not here. The word here only means a place to stay. Why is that important? Because there was no room for them to stay in the place where they normally would stay. All right, so what does it mean? Remember I told you that even poor houses of which they were a part of have how many rooms? Two rooms. There is the living quarters and there is the guest room. The guest room was full. So they took them into the main house. That's how it works. When you have a lady that's about to give birth, they clear out all the men at that time. The midwife comes in, all the women surround her and they take care of her. And you go, yeah, but there was like animals in there. Let me explain something. Jesus told two two parables that tie into this. Number one, he said, you don't cover a light. You let it so the whole house has its light. How do you light up a whole entire house with one light? You do if it has one room. In your house, you have many rooms. That's not how it was with the poor people. They had one room and it lit up everything. Second parable he told. He was trying to explain how Sabbath regulations, he went and took care of a woman and they're like, I can't believe you did that on the Sabbath. He goes, dude, every Sabbath, you take your animals out of your house and go hook them up outside. That's called work. Everyone does that. 
because the animals lived with you at night. Why would they do that? Theft predators. So the way that the house was constructed was on a slope. You would have living quarters on the high part, and then it would slope down to where you would hold the animals by the door at night. So you could close it. Mangers were dug into the ground, so there was a feeding trough, so you didn't have to get up and take Mr. Cow out in the middle of the night to go eat. He would just get up, have a midnight snack, and lay back down. The little sheep, they would also provide warmth in the house, but they were all down in their area. If you uh, chose to, you could also have an above ground wooden manger where the animals would eat. So every morning you start your morning by leading out your horse or cow, tie it up outside and sweep out the place and get your day started. So where did they stay? In the main living quarters of the house provided for by the family. Listen, if there was no room for them, don't you think they would have stayed with Elizabeth, who Mary had just stayed with for three months, helping her have John the Baptist? That is only a few miles away. If you travel 75 miles and there's no room and you have family in the area, you would have just stayed with them. The bottom line is they came into town early They got a chance to stay with family. They made wonderful arrangements to take care of them. And Jesus was born in a loving home. What are swaddling cloths? Anybody knows what those are? That's a big old long sheet kind of thing where you wrap burrito babies. Anybody know what burrito babies are? Yeah, you do. All moms know what burrito babies are. This is for nine months, baby is in this position, right? totally squished in there so all of a sudden baby comes out and baby's like oh i feel so free right that's very unsettling when you've been doing that for nine months so the best way to make baby feel safe and secure as he's growing and getting used to the outside world is when it's time to sleep you wrap him in a little burrito style all right so you roll him up and my wife is brilliant at this she wraps him so tight their eyes are all just kind of It kind of comes out and then the baby's like, ah, and then the baby falls asleep. All right. That's swaddling cloths. And then they laid him in fresh hay in what is a makeshift crib. That's how they always did it. It's not an offensive thing. It's let's make sure baby doesn't roll down the hill, right? Let's put him in somewhere where he's going to stay. Fantastic. All right. So let's get a little different viewpoint. It says this in verse eight and in the same region. There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And was like, ooh, by night. Doesn't mean anything. And because uh, remember, they're near Jerusalem, 24-7, 365 operation. You always got to watch your flocks. Uh, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Okay, here we got into the glory idea. When an angel shows up, it freaks people out. Why? Because of the superpower coming off of them. Do you remember the story that when Moses was up on Mount Sinai with God, he began to glow? Do you remember that? He actually had to put a veil because it was freaking people out. Everyone's like, ooh, what's with the glow guy, right? 
So he puts on a veil over his face because it was unsettling to them. He was only with God for a short time. What if you're an angel who dwells in the very presence of the Almighty? You know how much God glory you got on you? So when an angel shows up, bam, just knocks people over. Why? Because the sheer power of God, of just being around him, is so intense that glory knocks people over. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the glory of God showing up. Do you have glory emanating off of you? If you have the indwelling Holy Spirit of being a saved Christian and saying, I invited Jesus into my heart, do you understand you got a little bit of that glow coming off you? Now, the rest of the world can see it. You just have a hard time seeing it because you look at yourself every day. There's some glow coming off you. I'll tell you that. This is incredibly intense. And they were filled with great fear. Yeah, of course they were. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for what? All the people. We've heard this a million times. Oh, great joy for all the people. This is revolutionary. Why? This was being said where? In Israel. Who's Israel concerned about? Israel. Who did they just say? Everyone else. They just said, the Messiah that is born is going to be for all the world. Wait, wait, wait. I thought we were having a Jewish Messiah. Oh, no, no, no. You have a Jewish Messiah. He's just so impressive and impactful and glorious, it echoes out into the whole entire world. Now, if they were tracking on the Abraham covenant, God said to Abraham, through your lineage, I will bless all peoples on earth, meaning it's going to have worldwide impact. But by this time, Jews had become pretty focused on their nation alone. But you get a heads up right away. It's going to have worldwide impact. So let's talk about shepherds for a moment. Shepherds were not respected. They were the lower class citizens. Why? Because they worked when church was on. There you go. That's why. Shepherds had odd hours. They were not able to get to temple in the same way as everybody else. So they didn't do all the ritual stuff. So they were considered unclean. They were not even allowed because of that and their reputation to be witnesses in a court of law. They were not respected. So you now have disrespected guys working. And then if you're going to do that job, you're probably going to have a few people gravitate towards you that are not really awesome. So they had a rough reputation of being thieves and stuff like that. They're the first ones that get a notification outside the family. What? Why would God do that? What's Luke's point in writing his gospel? Jesus is for everyone. If you think, man, I'm not one of those religious people. I'm not one of those churchy people. Oh, are you going to get notified first of the Messiah? Probably. How did Jesus interact with people when he was here on earth? There was a religious establishment and he said, I'll get to you in a moment. And he spent all his time with the people that were not flashy. Jesus is for you. Jesus is for your neighbor. Jesus is for everyone. Does he also minister to the wealthy and the elite? Sure he does because they need Jesus too. But who does he spend a lot of time with? The shepherds were notified first. They got to see the glory of God. That's kind of important. Let's take a look at what they said. Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David in Bethlehem a savior 
who is Christ the Lord. That's three loaded titles. They're Jewish. They get it. First one, Savior. Why do we need a Savior? Because we're all going to hell. That's why we need a Savior. Why? Because of our sin. You're not getting into heaven with any sin on you. So until you find someone that can clean you up, you're not going there. That's the bottom line. So we need a Savior. Jesus was the Savior. So he comes into the world. Who is Christ? Christ means Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, the one everybody had heard about who was going to come and save the people. He is the Lord. That means master. He's in charge. All right. And this will be a sign for you. They get their own special sign. What's their sign? You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. How in the world is that a sign? That's a lame sign. You're like, what? You mean he's going to be burrito babied? Whatever. They all are. And he's going to be laid. Here's why it was such a big deal to the shepherds. What they just heard. Doesn't matter to us. It matters a lot to them. I want you to jump into the shepherd's mindset. Here's how it sounds. You guys, I'm an angel. I'm going to tell you something super important. The king of all creation has now come down in the flesh and has been born a baby. He has been born in this very town. He is the epitome of God dwelling in this place. The king. I don't know if you can understand how important this is. The very incarnation of God becoming flesh is right here in this place. What are you thinking if you're a shepherd? I'm unclean and I can't even go to temple. So there's no way in the world I'm going to see this baby. I'm not going to get rejected. There's no way I'm going to go knock on some door and it's a king's house and they're going to be like, we don't ever pay attention to shepherds. Go away. You know how embarrassing that's going to be? So what was their sign? And he'll be all wrapped up in a burrito and stuck in a manger just like your kids. Oh, oh, he's in a poor place. Sweet. We can go there, man. They're going to wrap him up like our kids. So wherever we're going, wherever this house is, we're going to be welcomed. That was their sign. That's how they had the confidence to even go. That's important to them. It says this. Suddenly there was with them and with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, what glory to God. In the highest, he's running all this. And on earth, there is peace among those with whom he is pleased. When he drops his favor down, there is peace in that area. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Why does he say, and all who heard it? Isn't it just Mary and Joseph and the baby? No, they're in someone's house. Everyone heard it. And everyone's like, whoa. Because they just said all these little dream things that Mary and Joseph have been talking about. We just saw angels ourselves. We're outside guys. We're not biased. We're not emotionally tied into any of this. We just saw angels from heaven that told us this little baby is the savior of the entire world. That's a big deal. Everyone was like, whoa. 
And they all had to figure out what in the world does this mean? But look at the, the next line. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Listen, I don't care how many times God tells you that a miracle is going to happen. It's really hard to wrap your mind around. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as had been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised like every good Jewish boy, he was called Jesus. Remember, that's the name Joshua, Yeshua, Yehoshua. God saves. That's what it means. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, what's that? According to the law of Moses, what is the purification? If a woman gives birth, she is unclean and has to go through a purification ritual. How does that work? This is another one that's a drag for ladies. If you have a little boy, you're unclean for 40 days. You can't go to temple. You can't touch anything. You'll make it unclean. So you can do your normal everyday duties, but don't mess with the religious stuff. It screws it up. But if you have a little girl, it's twice that long. That's, you're going, come on, really? Why do we have to disown women like that? That's ridiculous, right? That was according to the law. And so it said, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who is first opens the womb and shall be called holy to the Lord. Do you remember that Jesus is Mary's firstborn son? Why do you say firstborn? Well, there's two reasons. One is it means you had other kids after that. Okay, that's very important to know. They had multiple kids. I do think that it's a drag after the Savior to have more kids because they're always a disappointment, but that's not the point. <laughs> but they had more sons. They had a lot of kids, girls as well. Two of Jesus' brothers ended up writing material that ended up in the Bible. That's, of course, the book of James and Jude. So there were other kids. So you mentioned firstborn because there were more to come. Also, in a Jewish setting, firstborn is special. Why? Because God said the firstborn of every animal, the firstborn of every family is mine. The animal you're supposed to sacrifice. You're not supposed to do that with your kids. So what do you do with that? You go to the priest and buy them back. It's called a ransom or redemption. You pay five shekels and you get to keep your firstborn. And that is an honor to God saying, I have given you my firstborn. Remember how in tithing you give him the first fruits? The whole point is God always gets first for his blessing you with anything. Same thing happens with children. And they went to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That's where you get it in the song right? There's a partridge in a pear tree for no reason, but there are two turtle doves and that's where it comes from. Now, what are the two birds about? The normal payment to give a burnt offering sacrifice for the birth of a child is a lamb. The only reason you don't do a lamb is if you're poor, then you do two birds. So Mary and Joseph were poor. That's how they got their offering. All right, moves on. It says this, now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now, this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for peace to come back to his land. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
That's key. Remember, this is Luke writing who also wrote Acts and the whole story of Pentecost. He knows what Holy Spirit means. It says, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit supernaturally he got a download from god that he would not die before he had seen the messiah and he came in the spirit into the temple so the holy spirit was guiding him did he know that i don't know i don't know if he could feel it or not he was guided into the temple and when the parents brought in the child jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law he took him up in his arms blessed god and said i paraphrase now i can die I have seen the Messiah. How did he know a little tiny baby was the savior of Israel? The Holy Spirit. He was able to discern and God downloaded directly. This prophetically is the child. He said, this child is going to turn our nation upside down. There's going to be the rising of some and the casting down of others. And then he looked over at Mary and said, oh, a sword is going to pierce your soul as well. What does that mean? That's terrible news. He was warning her. Why? Well, let me just ask you this. If you were a mom and you saw your son go public and he was humiliated and he was crucified and he was hung there naked in front of everyone else and died before your very eyes. Mary was at the foot of the cross. You think that didn't rip her guts out? Of course it did. He called it out ahead of time. Look at verse 36. And there was a prophetess. What's a prophetess? It's a woman prophet. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. Remember, if the Bible calls you old, you are old. <laughs> Having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day and coming at the very hour. How did she know to come at the very hour? Holy Spirit. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Go backwards in your Bible to the left. Why is Anna mentioned? We already had Simeon say this stuff. We didn't even get to hear her conversation. Why is she mentioned? Because Luke wrote it. What is Luke trying to explain? That women matter too? Notice. He always puts in, hey, Joseph had a dream with an angel, but Mary had a dream with an angel. Oh, that's right. Zechariah had a dream with an angel. Oh, but Elizabeth had a dream with an angel. Oh, you know what? This prophet guy, he came up and he was like in the spirit. His name was Simeon. Oh, and Anna was also filled with the Holy Spirit and she showed up too. Every time he points out Jesus is for everyone. That includes those cast out by society, shepherds, women. It doesn't matter. His point is he'll keep saying, ladies, you are valuable in the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter what society says. You are just as necessary and critical to the plans of God as men. That's Luke's point. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Uh-oh, we got a whole new crew. Who's Herod? He's a psycho. <laughs> Herod the Great built a lot of stuff. 
his famous, at least to us, most famous building that he ever built is he rebuilt the temple of Jerusalem and made it beautiful and glorious. And we go, yeah, he's a good guy. No, he's a bad guy. And here's why. The older he got, the more he slipped into madness. He married 10 women. That in itself is mm, odd. But the weirder thing is he was killing them. That's a bad thing. Is he killed his favorite, Mary Amney, because he thought her political leanings were shifting. All right? And if you're going to slide away from me, I guess I'll kill you. So he kills Mary Amney, then spends all this time running around his palace, and he would call out her name at night looking for her. Uh, dude, you killed her. Then he would send out his servants to go find her. When they couldn't find her, he would beat them. Fruit loop. You understand what I'm saying? He's not with us. He is slipping. He's out of it, right? Then he strangles two of his own boys by his order in Samaria. Kills his nephew. He'll just kill anyone and everyone that would dare try to take over his throne. And a new group of guys rolls into town and goes, so there's a new king in town. I'm sorry, what's that? No, no, no. I'm the king of the Jews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get that. So are you like having a kid or something? Because we just saw in the constellations, a new king has arrived. Mr. Paranoid gets this information and he's not going to freak out. Of course he's going to freak out. He will kill everyone for this. So sure enough, they said, hey, we're from the east. We saw his star rising. That is a sign of a king. Would God really use stellar constellations to bring about information? Of course he would. Why? He's a master of the universe. He can move anything. And that's actually what I'm going to be talking about on Christmas Eve. Plug commercial there. (laughs) These wise men show up. Who are these guys? Where do we get these guys from? Well, it says they're from the East. If you're reading any translation other than the ESV, it probably says we saw a star in the East. That's wrong. The ESV corrected it. It actually means the star in the rising. Why? Because if they're from the East and they saw the star in the East, they should have gone to India. They completely missed the whole area. No, no, no. They were from the East. What does the East mean? We have no idea. But to a Jew, there's one major line of demarcation. That's the Jordan River. Anything on the right of that is the East. So it could be somebody that's on the other side of the river. It could be somebody all the way from Babylonia and Persia. I would suggest that the idea of Magi can trace all the way back to stuff like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember how they could tell dreams and they were wise and they knew astronomy and they were science guys and they were kind of a little bit supernatural and they were the wisdom of the area. That's what the Magi were. But eventually they got shut down. They were part of the Median kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. They actually helped lead a rebellion against the Persians and got beat down. They were no longer royalty. They were now just considered wise men. These guys came to Jesus. The most important thing that you need to know about the story, the only reason why they're included is this. Gentiles from another land came over to honor Jesus Christ with expensive gifts. You go, why is that important? Because another son of David had that happen to him. Who was that? Who's the most famous son of David? Solomon. Guess who visited him? Oh, Queen of Sheba. And she bought, brought super important gifts to honor him as being a big deal. That was duplicated right here in Jesus. Not just Jews were notified, but Gentiles were notified. He was the savior of the entire world. They came all the way through 
and they gave him important presents. And I'll tell you what they are in one moment, but let's just talk about who these guys are real fast. I believe they were from Arabia. I believe they were Arab. Why? Because their gifts are from Arabia. It's not all that deep. Here's why. They were giving gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, everybody can get gold. Actually, gold is mined in Arabia. Frankincense and myrrh come from trees only grown in southern Arabia. So either these guys traded for it, they came through the territory, or they're Arabian. That's important because it means that they didn't come from that far away. They came from the southern area of Arabia that's on the other side of the river. But as they wandered up, they come in and tell Mr. Paranoid a new king is in town. So he starts to freak out. It says this. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Why does he want to know that? Because he has to figure out what age group he needs to slaughter in order to get rid of the king. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go search diligently for the child. When you found him, bring me word so I too may come and worship him. Is that what he wants to do? No. Verse nine. I don't know why I screamed like that. <laughs> After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Let's pause. What is this star? Stars don't move. Well, it was a comet. No, it wasn't. Comets are like, yeah, and they're gone. That's not what happened here. This is like a moving, hovering star. But we know that stars are super far out there. Now, was the original star that showed up in the constellation, was that a supernova that God just fired off and was able to allow them to see it and, the, and it had moved here? I have no idea. All I know is that God orchestrated some incredible things and then he had something moving. What was moving? I'm gonna suggest to you that it was the Shekinah glory of God that it was the very power. Remember when Israel had a moving pillar of fire that moved in front of them at night in the desert? I think that's the same thing. A big glowy thing, we're going to call it a star. And big glowy thing starts hovering over right over the house. How do you know a star is over a house when it's way up there? Because it's not a star. It's the power of God. It says, when they walked in, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. That is the appropriate response to a king. Well, they were kings. No, that's bogus. They were magi. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own country by another way. Okay, how many wise men were there? We have no idea. Why? Well, there was three. What are you talking about? I set them up every season, right? <laughs> you know where that came from? The stupid idea that no one can carry more than one present, right? It's kind of like, oh my gosh, this frankincense. Oh, it's so huge. I couldn't possibly carry more. Come on. It could have been 14 of them. It could have been two of them. All we know is it's plural 
And that's it. They could, the whole idea that it's one gift per dude is not legitimate. They brought him gifts, meaning there's probably a lot of different boxes of myrrh and frankincense and gold. So we don't know how many people rolled up in this caravan. Were they wealthy? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of part of the point. Did they have names and all that tradition has them named? One's named Balthazar and all this stuff. That's all legend. Is any of it legit? Probably not. But they were notified by God and they went to go praise a baby. Let me close with this thought. If this story is all about glory, I got a question for you. When the shepherds heard about Jesus being the king, meaning he was going to tell them what to do, they glorified him. When the Magi heard that there was a king, they came and they fell down and worshiped and glorified him. The only person that resisted glorifying God was the one who currently had power and didn't want to lose it. So I got a question for you. Why are you resisting God? In your life right here, right now, God wants control of you and he wants full access to your life and you're resisting him because you think it's your power. You're the only one resisting God in that area. Why did Jesus come down and spend time with the down and out and the sinners and the tax collectors? Because they knew they needed a savior. It was all the smug, self-righteous, religious people, all the people that thought they were good enough that didn't need Jesus. And Jesus said, that's too bad for you because I come for sick people. And if you think that you're all good, I guess you don't need me. So I'm not for you. Jesus currently is challenging the authority in your life. It means you're no longer in charge. And if that bothers you, you have somebody just like you in scripture. It's all called Herod, the man gone mad. Have we gone mad that we would dare to hold on to our power and miss the savior of the world, but at least we have control. What are you protecting What is so awesome about the leadership of your life that you're so extraordinary at it that God's going to screw it up? Are you better than God? Do you know more than he? Do you have better plans? Do you have more access to resource and power? Why are you resisting the authority of God in your life? What am I possibly thinking when I choose sin over him what it's going to make me more full it never does and i'm always embarrassed afterward have we gone insane listen god wants all of you and any of those areas that you think are off limits to him only pique his interest more And either he is king of all or he's not king at all. You understand what I'm saying? So if Jesus is going to be glorified in your life, you got to be all in. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your glorious walk in your word. Thank you for the way that you guide us and direct us. We ask that you would change us so that you would get max glory in our lives. We pray that you would adjust our hearts, that, Lord, that you would settle our minds and allow us to submit and surrender to you and give you all authority and power in our world. 
God, we take off our crowns that we think we wear and we cast them down before you knowing you're the only rightful king. King Jesus, we love you. Be praised in us. In Jesus' name, amen.